0: This morning, you can join me in Luke chapter 24. Um, that's where we're going to be today. This week, we're actually closing off our, our Jesus, in three C, Jesus in 3D series. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this dive into the life of Jesus and how we can better understand our, wor- our, our worlds, our lives, and, and the reality of life um, through Jesus as we look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he said, that, that for each one of us that have, have come along this journey, hopefully there's been things that, that you've seen or that you've, you've come to see differently in your life because of Jesus. Um, next week we're going to begin a new series talking about uh, what it means for, for us to be Christian people. What, what the Bible would call, the Bible would say that, that we're meant to be a peculiar people. And, and we're going to talk about what being peculiar means in context of, of our culture today, a, a culture that in my lifetime um, has never been more divided and has never been more tense and we're called to be in the world and called to not be of the world, but we're called to be a light to the world. And so we're going to talk about, for a few weeks, we're going to talk and walk through what the Bible has to say about what living inside of a culture that wants to pull us down into its muck looks like. We're not going to talk about how you should feel about something, but we are going to talk about how we are to exist when there's people around us who feel all kinds of different ways about stuff. But all that's for next week, at least starting next week. This week, we're going to take, take one last look at the life of Jesus, at least in, in this way. Last week, if you were with us, Uh, we left off with the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We, We looked at the story of Jesus arriving into Jerusalem for Passover and all of this pomp and circumstance that takes place around him and as the people are celebrating and waving palm branches and they are celebrating the king coming to Jerusalem. And just like in real life, Um, about a week or so has passed in the context of our story. We're going to pick up this story this week, about a week after that all took place. Now, a whole lot has happened during that week, uh, Jesus has, has been conspired against, he's been betrayed, he's been beaten and tortured, and ultimately killed on a cross and buried in a tomb. And, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time, again, looking at that as we, as we come to Easter. You know, that's going to really become a focus for all the, all the things that we're looking at, and we're going to dive deep into all of those things. But for our time together this morning, I want to pick up the story of Jesus in his life, I want to take some time today to really focus in on on one of the most unique and, and one of the most, I don't want to say strange, because it's not strange, but when you think about it in the context of who Jesus is and what has taken place, and we look at what's going to unfold in our time together this morning, it's kind of bizarre in a grand scheme of things. But let's set the scene for a moment. And to do that, um, we are going to, to look at, at, at the story of, uh, of the Sunday after Jesus was crucified. And early on that morning, so, so Jesus is, is crucified and he's dead. And a couple days have gone by. And, and on Sunday morning, some, some women, they, they go to, to the tomb of Jesus to go treat the body of Jesus. And, and they, they come upon what they know to be Jesus' tomb but something is, is different. Something is, is not right. Something is not the way that they under, would understand it to be. Uh, as we look at Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So immediately something is off. They've come, and there's this big, giant stone that's blocking the door, and it's not there anymore. But when they entered, so they enter the tomb, they don't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4 tells us that while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them in their in their right or in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground but the men said to them why do you look for the living among the dead he is not here he is risen These women come across this most incredible moment. Jesus has come back from the dead. He's been resurrected. And and the text tells us that after this, that that the women, they they run back to where they came from to to tell other people what what has happened. That they came to the tomb and and Jesus wasn't there. And then there were these guys and they told us he's risen and we don't know what. And they run back to tell them. But what I want to focus on today, so that sets the context, that's morning, that's, that's first thing in the morning that tells us this is what, what takes place. But what I want to, want to talk about today is, is while all of this is happening and every, everything is, is happening and people are reacting and to Jesus and to his resurrection, what I want to look at today is where was Jesus? All of this stuff is happening because Jesus has been resurrected. But, but where's Jesus? What, what was Jesus doing? What would Jesus do on the day he rose again? And if we jump down a couple of verses, we'll see. If we jump down to verse, verse 13, it says, Now that same day, The same day of the resurrection. That's the day it's talking about. The same day that Jesus was resurrected, two of them, the them that it's referring to is two of Jesus' disciples, two of the followers of Jesus. Not necessarily like when we sometimes when we say like Jesus' disciples, instinctually we think of like the 12 guys. Um, But what it's talking about here is is the grander group of people who follow Jesus. So it wasn't necessarily two of the twelve, but two of the people who were Jesus' followers. So so the same day that they've discovered that Jesus' tomb is empty and and these two men have said Jesus is not here, he's risen. There's two of Jesus' followers and they were going to a village called, called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So we've got two guys walking away from Jerusalem, leaving. They they were talking with each other about everything that happened, as as you would. And then as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and, and walked along them. But then verse 16 tells us, But they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus has risen from the dead. The most monumental... An incredible moment in all of human history. Nothing had happened till that point and nothing has happened since that point in our history that is more important than what has taken place there. And where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus walking with with two men from, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It says it's about a seven mile walk, it's about 11 kilometers or so. But we really find Jesus joining two men who are walking away from everything. On a journey away from everything that has gone on, leaving their faith behind. That's where they're going. That's what's taking place. These are two men who are leaving Jerusalem. And as we're going to discover, it's not just because they had errands to run, but it it runs deeper than that. And Jesus joins them on, on their walk something happens that we don't really understand. But the text tells us that these two men don't recognize Jesus. We, we don't know if there's something supernatural taking place that, that God had somehow darkened their ability to perceive who it was, that, that they were actually just, just physically unable to recognize him because of something supernatural. We, we don't know if it was just that Jesus was, was wearing a, a hood or something like that that obscured his face. Uh, the, if these men didn't, physically know Jesus well enough that, that they were followers of Jesus, but we don't know how close of followers they were to Jesus. So, so they may not have, have had the ability to, to really, if Jesus was standing right next to them, to be able to say with any certainty, You're Jesus! Um, or if because they, of all that they had just gone through, they weren't really looking at this other guy close enough to realize who he was. But we know that they don't know What's happening to them, even as it's happening? They don't, we know that they don't know that they're talking to Jesus. And as they journey to Emmaus, Jesus walks with them. And let's just stop and, and think and marvel at this moment just for a second. Of all the places that Jesus could have shown up after his resurrection. Of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to spend his time with. We, we know that the Bible tells us that, that Jesus showed himself to Mary for a brief few moments. But, but as far as we know, the next people that Jesus appears to and the, the first people that Jesus spends a considerable amount of time with are these two guys. Now, if I was Jesus and I was planning my first day back from the dead, who would I show up to? How would I plan that day? What would I fill my day with? Who would I share the most important day in history with? Well, maybe you would spend it with with your followers, Maybe you would go and find those closest to you, those who had been with you for three years, the, the guys you had set aside, set apart to be closest to you, to let them know that, that you're back, and, and things are going to be okay. They're probably pretty shook right now, and, and they really need to know that you're there. They, they really need to not just deal in, in rumor and innuendo and the fact that they, they need to know Jesus is okay. Maybe you'd show yourself to your mom, to your family. Say, hey, mom, <laughs> I'm okay. It's okay. I, I know that was really hard on you, but, but I'm here. I'm okay. To, to show him to, to show himself there, maybe, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, to the high priest, to, to those who ki- killed him, to, to come and say, "Hey, hey, a fellas, check this out. Guess you were wrong, huh? Well, what do you got to say now?" Or, or maybe Jesus would say those things with a little more compassion. Or maybe to Pilate. To, to the highest authority in the land. To be able to say, this is, this is what you thought you could do, but look, here I am. Or maybe go all the way to the top. If you're Jesus, maybe go to Caesar. Go right to the most powerful person in the world and, and say, look what happened. Your people tried to kill me and here I am. But that's not, that's not Jesus. That's, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus chooses to spend time with with these two, frankly, seeming nobodies. These two guys that that we know virtually nothing about. In in a moment, as we read through the text, we're going to learn one of the guy's names. Only one, not both of them. The other guy will remain nameless. But we're going to learn one guy's name, and once you've learned his name you now know virtually everything there is to know about these two guys. We don't know much more than that one guy. We know his name. We know that they were followers of Jesus. And that's what's so crazy about this story is that God comes after these two guys, one of whom we will never know his name perhaps until we're in heaven. But Jesus... Takes an 11 kilometer walk with these guys, spends the day with them. History doesn't tell us a lot. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot. These are nobodies when it comes to the story of the Bible. In fact, when we come to the guy's name, if I was to tell you his name and just say, Who is this person? I would wager probably none of us would guess. Oh, that was the guy who Jesus talked to on the road to Emmaus. I don't know. But yet, these are the people that Jesus chooses on Resurrection Sunday. On the day he comes back to life. These are the guys Jesus chooses to spend his time with. Now maybe as, we're, as I'm sharing this about these two guys, maybe the way they sound... Sounds awfully familiar to you. Maybe you look at your own life and you look at who you are and and you see yourself and you say, you know, I kind of feel like a nobody. Maybe you feel like society and people have overlooked you, have have devalued you. Maybe you look around even the church right now and you think to yourself, even here, nobody knows me. Nobody knows my name. Nobody really sees me. And in fact, maybe today you even feel like maybe God doesn't even know my name. I feel so insignificant that, that God doesn't even know my name. But what we see in this moment, in, in, in this, this picture of who Jesus is, the way that he chooses to spend his day, what this story gives us for all of us who can feel that way, who can feel like we, we're nobody. This gives us hope. A hope that even though we may feel like the world and the people all around us may see us one way, may not even see us in any way, That Jesus chooses seemingly those those very same people as the first people to spend the day with. That God loves us enough and will pursue us enough. It gives us hope that even if society and, and culture devalues us and overlooks us, God will always see us. And so as Jesus picks up the journey with these two guys, he asks them a question. In verse 17, he says to the guys, "He, Jesus asks them, well, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus comes and says, so, what you talking about? And, and these two guys, are, are it, 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 we'll read, they're stunned, silent, and stopped by this question. Not because this is a profoundly holy moment. Not because, you know, there are times in scripture where, where God would speak or someone would speak on behalf of God. And you would see this moment where, where everything stopped because God spoke. That, that's not what ta- is taking place here. They, these guys are stunned, silent, not because of the power of God, but because of the seemingly stupidity of the question. What, what are you, ta- what you talking about, fellas? And, and it's, it will say that, that in verse, verse 17, they stood still. But this question stops them in their tracks. Their, their faces are downcast. Now, the text we'll, we'll read will tell us that, that they're downcast. What, what that means is, is they're gloomy. They're, they're sad. Why is it that they're sad? Because Jesus is dead. And, and because of that, so is their faith it seems from the progression of the text that we're going to read through here that, that from where, where these verses started and as we read through the next verses that, that these two guys, they had heard the rumors that Jesus wasn't in the tomb anymore. That, that that's, we're, we're, going to, we're going to see that. But what we're going to see is, is that with everything that had gone on, it seemed too much for these guys to take on and believe in something else. I mean, a week ago, we talked about, and a week ago, these guys lived out the triumphant entry. One week ago, they probably would have been there with Jesus, walking into Jerusalem, seeing everything that's gone on. And and they are, wow, I cannot believe the story that's being told right now, the story I get to be a part of. I'm here with all of this. And then the next week unfolds. And the roller coaster that these men had gone on had left them with with just one more unbelievable piece of news. And it was one piece too many. It was too much. For these two guys, Jesus is dead. And from that... So is their faith. Now, maybe, maybe for you. Much like how we talked about how how these guys were were unknown, seemingly no one special. Maybe this part of their story, the this idea of their story, maybe that speaks to you and your life. That, That at one point you were all in. At one point, Jesus was your life, it was what you were about. But one too many disappointments. One too many kicks in the gut. One too many things that just made it harder and harder and harder to keep putting your faith out there. And just not sure what faith looks like anymore. This story... This moment, understanding these guys can give us a hope and a perspective. If that's where you are this morning, as, as Jesus comes and finds these men in their grief, in their sadness, in their doubts, in their worries, in their fears, in their walking away from Jerusalem, they're walking away from Jesus, in their walking away from the reality of his resurrection. And just Like we talked about, these are the people that Jesus meets, and he doesn't confront them in their doubt. He doesn't confront them and, what are you guys, get back to Jerusalem. Did I say it was time to turn, get, go, I'm going to turn this car around. That he doesn't somehow get mad at them, angry at them, and try to send them back. He, he doesn't say, what are you, quit acting like little babies, get over it. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus makes it a priority to spend the day with two guys Walking away from Jesus. Now, verse 18 say, one of them named Cleopas, there, you know his name, that's all we know. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Obviously, he doesn't know it's Jesus he's talking to. What on earth are you talking about? What kind of stupid question? The thing, what are we talking about? We're talking about the thing literally everyone is talking about. That's what we're talking about. You must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who isn't talking about this right now. In verse 19, Jesus says, what things? What, what, what are you talking about? And then over the next few verses, we're going to read his response. And I just, before I, I read you what, what the man says, I just want to remind you they're talking to Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. They didn't find his body. They came to us and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said. But, but they did not see Jesus. See, it's, it's amazing when you realize that these men are talking to Jesus. Because what's just taken place here is, is they've started to preach the gospel to Jesus. Jesus. The gospel of Jesus to Jesus. They're, they're telling the story of the resurrection to Jesus. They know what's taken place. We, the woman went and saw it was empty, and then our companions, we read Peter and John, go and they come back and tell it's an empty tomb. But they're walking to Emmaus. They, they didn't believe. They knew what was going on, but they they couldn't allow the resurrection of Jesus to be real and impactful for them. And it makes me think about us. How many of us know the story? How, How many of us know the answers? How many of us know exactly what it is that we should say? How many of us could stand up here on the stage, or, or maybe that's too much, but, but how many of us could, could explain the gospel, could say, this is what we need to know, this is what you need to know, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he did. Give every single detail of the story of the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, what he did, what it accomplished, and what it means for us, even that he's still alive. He's still alive. But although we we know it, it's just not making a real impact in our lives. That, That we know that Jesus is alive, but we live our lives like he's still in that tomb. Dead. We know the story that we believe to be true, but we don't live life Like it's true. I've heard heard the stories and I know what's been said, but it's just not real for me. And our lives reflect that while we may know the right things, we're living our lives as if the resurrection of Jesus never happened. And the difference that the power of God who conquered sin and death could make in my life isn't there, not because I don't believe it, but because I don't live like it's true. That the God that can set us free from the power of sin, the God that can set us free from our past, the God that can give us a new future, the God who conquered sin and death and hell and the grave, is alive, but I live like he's dead. The resurrection of Jesus just doesn't resonate in our lives, doesn't have the power that it should. And we live as if we have a God who's dead. Scripture will say that the, the same power that, that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in us. But we live as if Jesus is still dead. And we we don't live like we've got a resurrected king. And that's where these men are. They know the truth, they've heard it all. But we're going to live like Jesus is dead. And I want to draw us to a conclusion of the story here as, as our time begins to draw to a close. Verse, verse 28. In, in, the, in the verses, that Jesus begins to unpack for them. And he, he explains, Scripture will say he explains all of Scripture to them. The, the prophets in the Old Testament and explains how, how everything that took place is exactly what needed to take place for the Messiah. And he unpacks the entirety of Scripture to them. But we're going to close just looking at verse 28 through, through 31. Verse 28 says, um, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. Jesus plays this little coy moment of, of hard to get. Oh, you guys, are! I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep, keep going. But, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to to stay with them. I just want to highlight something for you here. What what time of day is it? It's evening. The, The day is almost over. On Resurrection Sunday, the day... That Jesus rose from the dead, showing himself to be God, triumphant over evil, triumphant over the enemy, triumphant over death and hell and the grave. The most important day in human history. Jesus doesn't just appear to these two guys and, hey guys, I know you're on your way to Emmaus. Um, guess what? I'm back. See you later. i got more people to go see. He, he isn't with them For a moment, he spends all day with these two nobodies who are walking away from their faith, living as if he's still dead, guys who have given up on Jesus. But what do we see here? We see that Jesus pursues them. Jesus chases them down. He walks with them. Jesus makes a choice not just to appear to them, not just to deliver a message to them, but to be with them. And Jesus comes in and and shares a meal with them. And it's a meal that that has some parallels to to maybe some things that we would be familiar with in, in in our context when he was at the table with them, he, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. Does this ring any bells, maybe, if, if you've been a part of a church for a while? This is, this is what we read. That This is the, 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 the context we read when we share in communion, like we did last Last Sunday, Jesus begins to, to, to walk them through the, this meal that he shared with his disciples before he died. And he begins to unpack this same thing for them here. And so he, he, he breaks bread and he gives it to them. And then verse 31 says, Then their eyes were opened and they, they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Could you imagine for a moment the rush of emotions that these guys must have felt as this couple of moments, these minutes, whatever it was, as they unfold before them? The moment of clarity. It's Jesus! How how do. How did you, huh? It's Jesus, That this moment of amazement that they had been walking and talking with Jesus the whole way, the whole time. I'm horribly ashamed that there's this this moment of amazement, but then that must have been quickly followed by shame. We didn't realize it was him. How, How did I not realize that was, I was rude to him. I thought his question was stupid. The the shame that they had... He knows we were leaving. He knows where we were going. He knows we doubted him. Ashamed to have doubted Jesus. Ashamed that their lack of faith in Jesus was expressed to Jesus. This initial rush of, it was Jesus, to the, I am so ashamed that that was Jesus. But friends, shame and guilt, that's not the end goal of the presence of Jesus in our lives. That's not what he wants to bring us to. To a place of shame and guilt. That may need to be a stop on the way for some of us in our stories. And for these guys it probably was. But we're not meant to be left in guilt and shame. So as the presence of Jesus in their life works past the guilt and the shame, they are filled with hope and joy and excitement because of Jesus and his resurrection. Remember, they had spent all day walking away from Jerusalem, but the story tells us that they got up right from where they were and they ran back the 11 kilometers back to Jerusalem. They found the disciples and told them everything that had happened. Jesus is alive. Their hope that was dead is now alive again, and what Jesus had said he was going to accomplish, he actually did. Guys, it's not just the story. It's not just that there's an empty tomb. We saw him. We spent the day with him. He served us communion. And isn't this how the gospel hits us? That that even though we, we may feel ashamed And guilty because of all of our sin, our mistakes, and our past. That Jesus moves through our shame and moves past our guilt. And He allows us to rejoice in the work that He has done and what He accomplished for us and the hope that He has given us in our lives. Friends, don't. Don't miss this. Jesus' heart was on that one of the most important days that has ever been. These are the people that Jesus chooses to spend the day with. Even though they were nameless, even though they had given up on Jesus. But what we need to know about our Savior is that wherever you are today, Whatever your struggle, whatever your headspace, whatever your heart, what we see in this story of Jesus is that Jesus will pursue us, that he's willing to chase us down, that he's willing to come after us, that he's not willing to just let us walk away and give up on him, even when that's what we're doing. See, the Bible will say, while we were sinners while we were going down the wrong path, while we were choosing things that were in rebellion to Jesus, Jesus came after us. He chased us down. In the midst of our sin, he gave up his life in pursuit of us. It will say that while we were still sinners, Jesus gave everything to free us from our sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today, through this story, we see this amazing picture of Jesus and his heart for people. Jesus and his heart for us. And what happened to these these two men journeying to Emmaus is a promise of what God wants to do in your life today. To, To meet you where you are, to work through where you are, and to free you from where you are. And allow you to live in the reality of a resurrected Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we come to this moment where, where we can just be awestruck by your love for us, by your kindness towards us. God, I thank you that your word will tell us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And God, I thank you that in this story of these two, two men who were who walking away from what was true, God, I thank you that in this story we can, can find such hope for ourselves and hope for our lives wherever we find ourselves today. God, if if we are people who know the truth but have chosen to walk away. God, I thank you that in these men we can find hope. God, if, if we, we see ourselves and we think, who am I? Would Jesus really die for me? Does Jesus care about me? Does anybody care about me? God, I thank you that in these two men who we know virtually nothing about, God, I thank you that when we feel like nobody knows us, no one cares about us, we don't matter. God, I thank you that in these two men, we see the heart of a good, good father. We see the heart of a God who would come after the unseen, that would come after the undervalued, that would come after those who who we might give no renown to and we might even look down our noses at. And yet here you are, choosing on the greatest day in history, to spend the day with these flawed people. And God, I thank you that that gives hope for each one of us who are flawed. Each one of us flawed people. As as we navigate our flawed selves and our flawed world with our flawed choices. God, I thank you that the end story of, of these two men is that you didn't let them get away. That as far away as they thought they could get, they couldn't outrun you. And God, I thank you that, that in Psalm, we will, we will read that, that, where can I escape from the presence of the Lord? If I go to the deepest depths, if I, if I make my bed in Sheol, if I, if I try to get away, I cannot get away from the presence of God. And God, I thank you that that's true for each one of us in our lives. And God, I thank you that, that you didn't just meet them where they were, but God, you brought them back that your presence in their lives allowed them to see where they were going, allowed them to see what they were doing, and it allowed them a road back home. And so God, for each one here who, who maybe identifies with that part of the story and says, I, I've wandered far from where I know I'm supposed to be, God, I thank you that even in this moment you are right there with them. God, I pray that your loving hand on their life would be working through where they are now and would be steering them back home to you. God, I thank you that you love us enough to meet us where we are. And God, my heart will be eternally grateful that you love us enough to not leave us there. So God, I pray that we would be brought back home today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside name. Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're, we're run, so grateful to be able to share God's came. word with our church community and family and that includes you, you. and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. It's on the
1: rugged cross, your death-defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me, you'll always hold my heart, cause that's the kind of God you are. gave me freedom from my sin you told me i could start again all the hurt is dead and gone now we're, were your, your daughters, daughters and your sons amazing grace how sweet the sound we once were lost but now you hold us in your arms cause that's just the kind of God you are Stepped into the dark, cause that's just the kind of God you are.